to share uh, those things that you're learning and experiencing. And so I, uh, I appreciate that very, very much and uh, a wonderful job in regards to the message, the overwhelming love of God. Just a powerful, overwhelming sense of His love and care for us. And so we appreciate that so much this morning because it's something we really, really need. Um, If you have your Bibles this morning, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. There is, uh, as Don referred to earlier, uh, a war raging in America. It is the same battle that has been in play throughout history. However, the rules of engagement have changed. And I think that's something that's important for us to recognize and to realize and to understand. As the rules of engagement have changed, I feel that the church, or should I say I fear that the church, is ill-prepared to defend in these new rules of engagement. I fear this because we are still fighting among ourselves in the church. And how in the world... Can we ever overcome the struggles in the world if we can't come to unity and harmony in the body of Christ itself? And so we face this battle and we face this war and we face these ever-changing rules of engagement. And how do we respond to that? How do we as a church do something about that? We first have to take care of our inward struggles. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, it is important that we recognize the context of the text for today. Beginning in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, Paul gets very practical. He talks about how we owe God our lives and our service because of the grace and mercy given us that he has just explained and thoroughly gone through in chapters 1 through 11. And so he talks about the grace, he talks about the mercy and the power and the presence of God, and then he says, because of this, we owe him our lives. We owe him a commitment of service. And so he urges us, as we read uh, amply in, in Romans, to be transformed in our attitudes, in our relationships, in our behavior through the renewal of our mind. And he especially emphasizes the body life of the church, the way that we treat one another as Christians. And in chapter 14, Paul emphasizes two major principles of Christian freedom. And those are the two things that I want us to look at together this morning. So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 14, and we want to, uh, to pick up and begin to read God's Word there together this morning and allow Him to speak to us in regards to this idea of the battleground that we're facing in the church and in the world today. So beginning in the very first verse, he says this, Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat anything or all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Let not him who eats regard with contempt 
the one who does not eat. And let not the one who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, I want to drop down to verse 13. We're going to look at all of this together. But I want to drop down to verse 13 and listen to what he says, Therefore, remember I always say, if you see the word therefore, ask yourself the question, what's it therefore? Therefore is referring back to all of the things that he's just said. And we're going to look at them together. But he says this, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. So there's the first major principle that he talks about in regards to the church and the struggle that we're facing, he says, stop judging one another and let freedom be real. Let people truly experience the freedom that comes from Christ, that comes from being in Christ, and stop judging one another. Paul is concerned about the effects of judgment and judgmental attitude on Christian freedom. And so he, he tells us, let's stop judging one another. And he says in regards to that, that we have to understand there are a few things that affect our judgment of others. And the first one is this, is that we are self-righteous by nature. That we feel that we are right. We are convinced and we are convicted that we are in the right. And that self-righteousness leads us to dispute and to argue with others. So when we look at that, we look at what he begins to define in this 14th chapter. And notice what he says to us about that in relationship to our belief. He says, uh, so uh, beginning in verse 4 where we dropped off, he says, who are you to judge a servant of another? Well, who's he talking about? He's talking about people who are servants of God. And he says, Who are you to judge, to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the first thing he says is, Listen, don't accept someone on the grounds that you want to judge their thoughts or their attitude or their ideas. He said, don't accept them on that basis. And we do that, right? Oh, let's bring them in so we can fix them. Let's bring them in so we can tell them what's right and what's wrong in their life and how to straighten it out. Okay? And he says, don't accept them for that reason. In fact, he says, who do you think you are that you would judge someone else's servant? Remember, he says, they're the Lord's servant and the Lord will take care of them. Verse 5. One man regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live... We live for the Lord. For if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. He says, we all belong to Him. Don't judge one another. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord both of dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? 
For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. He says, listen, we are in a struggle. And the struggle comes when we in our self-righteousness begin to judge others. And or, he says, here's the other side of that coin, we hold in contempt someone else. So we're either judging someone or we're looking at them with a, a bitterness or an anger or a contempt in our heart for them because they are doing things differently than us. And he says, in this is the struggle. It's this self-righteousness that, that we are right, and if we're right, then the other person can't be right. If we are correct, then they can't be correct. And he says, listen, don't worry about it. Stop judging one another or holding one another in contempt. In relationship to that, he says, let God worry about it. You just live the way that you're supposed to live. You just do what you're supposed to do. So let a man, he says, be fully convinced or convicted in his heart. If I believe that what I'm doing right, what I'm doing is right, then do it. But he says, don't judge somebody else if they're not. Don't hold them in contempt if they're not doing what you're doing. Don't judge them if they're not doing what you're doing, if they're not doing it the way that you're doing it. He says, in regards to that, that's the self-righteousness that leads us to, to dispute, that leads us to arguments, that leads us to conflict with one another. Because instead of me saying, I want you to be more like Christ, I'm saying, I want you to be more like me. You see, I want you to do things the way that I do things. I, I want you to follow the pattern that I follow, not I want you to follow Christ and I want you to be like Him. I want you to be like me. And if you're not like me, we've got a problem. And we have that problem, then we have a conflict. And we start arguing or disputing or, or discussing or debating with one another. And, and pretty soon, we begin to discourage people rather than encourage people. There are what we call non-negotiables. Now, there are some things that we can't just say, Hey, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and we'll go merrily on our way. Okay? There are some things that according to God's Word are non-negotiables. There, there are things that we must take a stand on. There are things such as this. No matter what, these never change. God is the Creator of all things, and He has always been and will always be. Non-negotiable. I, I will not ever waver on that truth. That truth is truth. If you don't believe it, I will tell you, you are wrong. I am right because God's Word tells me that is right. Jesus is the perfect, sinless Son of God and the Savior of mankind. Won't waver on that. I will not in any way give in any way in regards to that truth. It is a foundational truth that the church and the kingdom of God is built upon. Cannot waver in that area. Okay? We can go on through a list. There's about nine things that I think consider, according to God's Word, to be the non-negotiables. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit non-negotiable. Not, I'm not budging on that, okay? Jesus lived a pure and sinless life on this earth. Not going to budge on that. That's what God's Word tells me. It's the truth. I stand on it, okay? Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all of men. Not going to budge on it. That is the truth of God's Word. 
And, and you, you must believe that to be a part of the family of God. Jesus was buried in the tomb and was resurrected back to life on the third day. Not going to budge on it. Okay? So understand, when I talk about freedom, when I talk about that, that there, there, there are things in life and things in our Christian walk that I shouldn't force you or judge you to believe what I believe, there are some things that are non-negotiables. There are some things that we must take a stand on. There are some things that we cannot waver on. But the bulk of things that we argue about have nothing to do with those things. The bulk of the things that we dispute and we discuss and we debate and we have struggles and we separate over have nothing to do with these non-negotiable things. There are things that are peripheral in our faith. There are things that are opinion in our faith. There are things that we prefer in in our faith rather than the non-negotiables and the truth that comes from the Word of God. Jesus has ascended into heaven and is preparing a place for those who belong to Him. And He will come and return to take those who belong to Him home. Non-negotiable. Now listen, we can talk all day about premillennial and amillennial and postmillennial and all of those types of things in regards to how that's going to happen. But the non-negotiable is, it's going to happen. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And in His Word, He says, I'm coming back that claim those that belong to Him. That's foundational. We don't budge on that. But what we get caught up in is, is the semantics of that. And whether it's pre or, or post or ah or all of these other things. Here's what I say. I'm something that probably you've not heard of before. I'm a historical millennialist. You know what that is? History tells me that everything I just said to you about the non-negotiables is true, and Jesus is coming back, and I better be ready. That's all it is to it. Period. So whether it's pre or ah or post or any of those other things is really not so important as do I believe that He's the Son of God, ascended to the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for me, and someday He's coming back to claim those that belong to Him. Do I believe that? If I believe that and I am convicted of that, then you and I have something that we can stand on together. We have something that we can be united on in regards to the kingdom of God. We become His by following the gospel plan of salvation as presented in the Scriptures. Non-negotiable. I have to belong to Christ. He is the only name under which my, on earth that men must be saved. The scripture is very clear about that. And so what we have to understand when we look into God is that our goal should be that every person should accept the gift of eternal life and then become as much like Christ as they can in this life. Not for them to adopt my beliefs, not for them to adopt my philosophies, not for them to adopt my way of thinking, but rather for them to become more like Christ. And besides the non-negotiables, as Paul describes here, that is so often that we do, we want to push people into a mold. And he says, stop judging people. If you want there to be unity in the body of Christ, then stop arguing, stop debating, start, stop pointing fingers, and stop judging one another. And instead of pushing people away, draw people to Christ and encourage them to be like Him. That's what he calls the church to do. And so then... We get this idea, well, there's all this freedom. I can do what I want to do. Outside of those nine nine or ten non-negotiables, and there may be more, I'm not saying, but I'm saying those are the foundational ones for me. Then he says, listen, I, I can do what I want to do. 
I can live anywhere. So he talks about eating and drinking. He talks about you know certain days, and, and some people focus on one day, but somebody all the and all those things are okay is really what he says. He says that yes, he does. But then he brings us to the second point, and the second point is this: when we look at it, stop undermining one another, and let love be realized. Stop judging one another. And in, in, in regards to the kingdom of God, he says, and in relationship to that, when we stop judging one another, then we need to let freedom be real. Let it be what it's intended to be. But then he says, stop undermining one another and let love be realized. When we think about that, that picks up in verse 13 and following. Let's look at it again and see what God's word continues to tell us in Romans, the 14th chapter. And this is what he says very quickly, picking up verse 13. Therefore... Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather, so he says, here's what I do. If I'm not going to judge, I'm going to let people be free. He says, but rather do this, determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said I was free. You are free. He says, but rather than judging them, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to not be a stumbling block. I want you to not be an obstacle. I want you to not be in the way of people coming to know Christ and Him and His love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus, verse 14, that nothing is unclean in itself. Wow, listen to what he says. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do you hear what he just said? He just said, listen, you may not believe exactly what your brother believes, but if he is convicted of that and convinced of that in the truth of God's Word, then he says, you don't be a stumbling block. You don't get caught up in your freedom to do what you want to do, and and according to God's Word, you can do, if it becomes a stumbling block to someone else. If it becomes a deterrent from them coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He says, because when you do that, you're not living in love. You're not loving people as God has called us to love people. For because of food your brother is hurt, verse 15, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him whom Christ died, for, for who Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Listen, he says, you are free, but you are free to follow Christ and live for Him and not be a stumbling block to someone else. So don't undermine their faith. Don't undermine their their relationship with the Lord by the way you live your life. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. Yes, I have a responsibility in the kingdom of God to live in a relationship with others and not be a stumbling block or a hindrance to them in their journey of faith. Let's go on. Do not tear down, verse 20, the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. 
It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. Now listen to this last statement. He says, and whatever is not from faith is sin. He says, if you are not living with a heart of faith, if you do not have the faith that is essential for you to live the way that Christ has called us to live, and, and to not judge others, and to not undermine their faith and their walk of journey by becoming a stumbling block or a hindrance to them, he says, if you, in, in a lack of faith, are not doing that, he said, that's sin. He says, we must have the faith to live the way that God has called us to live. And we look at that and we think, that's big. That's a huge thing that God has called us to. Our attitude and our actions should be such that it is not a stumbling block or an obstacle to others. Self-righteousness and selfishness are devastating to the freedom that comes in Christ. What is not based on faith is sin. And so in our faith, we have to look around and we have to ask ourselves the question, why is there so much turmoil in the world? Why are there so many problems in the world? Why is there so much conflict in the world? We have to look at the church and say, what is the church doing about that? What what is the church doing to, to help resolve the conflict? What is the church doing to help to, to stop the problems that are going on? Are we doing anything? Are we helping in any way? Or, or are we just coming together and meeting and going on our way and everything's all right and, and just living life? He says, listen, there's a war that's going on. And we have call, been called to be soldiers in the army of God. And we've been called to stand firm on the truths of God's word and not waver on the foundational things, but to give freedom, not to judge in those, those things that are not non-negotiables. And that we don't undermine others' faith by becoming a stumbling block or a hindrance to their walk. But we do what God has called us to do and live faithfully as He's called us to live, being an example to others, helping to resolve conflict, not inflaming conflict, helping the church to become united under the headship and the lordship. So this morning, as they come and we prepare for invitation here, 